shame, fear, doubt, uncertainty, and questions swirl in the minds of the disciples. Jesus is dead, or, or so they thought. But just that morning, Mary Magdalene had went to the tomb and found it empty. What does this mean? Is Mary delusional for claiming to have seen Jesus resurrected? What are the disciples supposed to believe? What are the disciples supposed to do? What are the disciples supposed to be doing? The religious, um, the religious leaders knew that Jesus was their rabbi. If they saw them in the streets, would they crucify them too? In fear and grief, the disciples hide away. The doors are locked for protection, but also the lock-in place is a symbol of unwelcomeness. Like a no-vacancy sign flashing in the, in the night, no visitors are welcome here. Now, there is no knock at the door. There is no grand gesture to usher in their friend. No, the disciples are gathered mourning their loss, debating what is even real, arguing about the specifics of what Jesus had told them would happen. When suddenly, with no fanfare, with no introduction, Jesus is among them. Peace be with you, he greets them, displaying his hands and his side. And suddenly the room and world which had felt so dark and so grim suddenly flourishes with light. Peace be with you, he said. Peace be with you. Now, around the world, in every language and church tradition, this greeting that Jesus gives of peace be with you permeates the walls and hearts of communities of faith. These words are a greeting, a blessing, a steadying for weary souls, and so much more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, peace be with you. Just as I have been sent, now you, my disciples, are sent. But did the disciples actually hear Jesus? Did they understand what he meant, or were they so overcome with joy that they missed his meaning? We don't know. But Jesus continues. He breathes on them and commands them to receive the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that the Spirit descended upon Jesus at the time of his baptism, so she fell on the disciples. The Spirit brought revelation, understanding, which made Jesus' next words maybe all the more powerful. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Such very peculiar wording happens here, but I actually think John's diction is rather intentional. And I believe that because we know John to be a contemplative and artistic weaver of phrases. Maybe perhaps a better understanding of this passage and what Jesus says about forgiveness is this. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you hold anyone fast, if you embrace them well, they will be held fast. 
John's artistic liberations play well in this moment in Scripture. While on the surface it appears Jesus is saying much about the forgiveness of sins, with closer examination we find that maybe Jesus is being rather intentional and calling the disciples to the work of relational discipleship, of holding space for each other in a way that binds them together and also allows them to hold each other accountable to their faith. In other words, maybe Jesus is telling them to hold on to one another, grip them tightly. When doubts come, when hardships seem to beat them down, when all hope seems lost, that it will be their friends, those closest to them, who will inspire their weary souls and remind them of their purpose. With this direction, Jesus is urging them to unlock the doors which they have hidden themselves behind and allow the Spirit to kindle relationships between themselves, between themselves and other believers. And it is the urging to unlock the doors so that the Spirit may strengthen their faith in who they know God to be. Peace be with you, he said. Peace be with you. In this moment, Jesus is doing what we call passing the peace of Christ. You know what this is. We do this fairly regularly here at 2BC. And I will tell you, it wasn't until a few years ago that I learned what this practice was. Several years back, I found myself standing in a worship service in Eastern Europe. And I was younger, and I will say that because some of you will stop me and say, well, you're still a young woman. Well, I was a younger woman, if you will. And I was from a small town in East Texas. I grew up in a tiny country church. And we didn't hold a lot of the same traditions that other churches held. We actually didn't do things that we here at Second do. I had no idea what prayers of the people were. We did not robe. Nor did we, you know, celebrate Ash Wednesday or even talk about Easter before Holy Week began. But that small country church taught me what it meant to listen for the Spirit of God moving among us. So as I stood in that Eastern European church that morning, I found myself very, very confused when the pastor turned to the congregation and said, pass the peace of Christ to your neighbors. I had no idea what this meant. I had never participated in this practice. So I began to look around and observe what other people were doing as they greeted each other, and I realized what they were doing was exactly what my church did in a different way. You see, in my church growing up, we might not have passed the peace of Christ, but we did have a time every week where we turned to each other and said, hey, Connie, it's so good to see you. Or, hey, it's so great to see your family here. It's been a while since we've seen you. Good morning to you, too. But I had never participated in the tradition of passing the peace. Yet I will tell you that that morning as I stood in that room and I heard all of these brothers and sisters and siblings of Christ from within their mouths say peace or pace as they said, I felt the spirit fall on me. Something I was used to looking for. Pace. 
pace, the people said. Or as we would say, peace be with you, and also with you. Now that night that the disciples gathered, the room was dark. There were probably candles flickering, casting shadows on the walls. Imagine being in that locked room with them, standing among the disciples, feeling every ounce of the same doubt that Peter felt, every fear, every doubt that Thomas felt, every fear that Peter would have carried, every sadness that John would have experienced. Imagine that moment, being in that locked, dark room, as the air was thick with uncertainty and concern and fear, knowing that all of the disciples had lots of struggles, but at the same time knowing theirs also simultaneously holding your own doubts, fears, and concerns, and hoping that maybe, just as Jesus appeared and offered peace to Thomas, Peter, John, and the other disciples, that Jesus might appear and offer the same peace to you. Appear and invite the Holy Spirit to fall on you. Friends, this morning in this room, you might find yourself clenching hold to several doubts and fears, concerns, uncertainties, whatever they may be. And I wonder what it might look like for you in this moment, to have the peace of Christ fall afresh on you, to have the peace of Christ breathed on you, to have the peace of Christ passed to you. Now, Thomas was not with the disciples the night Jesus came to visit. And much like when Mary Magdalene had said that she had seen the Lord, Thomas did not want to trust his friend's account of seeing Jesus. He needed proof. Proof that actually ends up labeling him a doubter for thousands of years. I mean, we even continue to call him Doubting Thomas. But honestly, I think the proof he needed is the same proof that we would have asked for. And it's most certainly the same kind of proof that the disciples needed in order to believe that Mary Magdalene had indeed seen the Lord when she came running from the tomb that morning. But a week later, there they were, locked away together. Thomas was among them, and though Jesus had appeared to them, they were still uncertain, still lost. So they gathered with those who understood. They gathered with those who maybe would believe them. They gathered with those who were experiencing similar emotions and memories. And they gathered with those who would hold them fast. And in the midst of their collective navigating of the present moment, once again with no knock and no fanfare, Jesus appears among them. Peace be with you, he exclaims, and, extend, and instead of lifting his hands and showing them his scars, he calls for Thomas. Thomas, come and touch my wounds and believe. 
And just like before, the darkness that clouded Thomas instantly became light, became a revelation, became sight. It is the Lord. But Thomas's heart cries, it is my Lord and it is my God. And once again, we witness the Spirit fall upon the disciples and we get a glimpse of the fullness of the divine. A glimpse of humanity fully experiencing God. Now, I think this passage is beautifully woven into the gospel story. We can find ourselves resonating with all of the disciples, even Thomas. We can imagine the overload of varying emotions and thoughts that each of the disciples would have felt, probably because we have felt those too. Might even be feeling them this morning. Perhaps we found ourselves afraid of how our belief labels us. Perhaps we have found ourselves grieving the uncertainty of how to proceed when all seems lost. Perhaps we've just found ourselves doubting this Jesus thing. Is it even real? Maybe we need our friends to remind us of our faith and to hold us tightly when our sins seem to be pushing us from belief. Or maybe we just need proof. We need to see, to believe. And yet, at the end of this passage, Jesus blesses those who do not see and still muster belief within themselves. He blesses those who, if you will, see with the Spirit. Peace be with you. He spoke over them an invitation that the Spirit might fall on them and give them sight, that the Spirit might give them peace. Now, each time Jesus appeared to the disciples, he greeted them. Peace be with you. And following such a greeting, they come face to face with God. It's a pattern over and over in this passage. He said, peace be with you. And those locked away that first night were filled with joy when they saw. He said, peace be with you, and the Spirit falls on them, and they know that they are called. Then, a week later, Jesus appeared, and he came just for Thomas. And he said, peace be with you, and Thomas reaches out his hands, and he beholds his God. I wonder this morning, is it possible that we have lost the gift of this sacred greeting? Have we unintentionally used it more of a greeting of a hello rather than a looking for the moment to unlatch the lock, throw open the door, welcome and look for the Holy Spirit? And I wonder, because of that, if this morning any of us need to hear Peace be with you. Peace be with your weary soul. Peace be with your grieving heart. Peace be with your doubting mind. Peace be with your fearful nerves. Peace be with you in your darkest most sinful, most Thomas-like spaces. Peace be with you. 
when we say peace be with you, Perhaps we should channel our inner John the storyteller and mean those words to have all of the spiritual depth, mystery, and comfort that John meant by them. So this morning, in this sacred, bright sanctuary where the sun is beaming in at times, we're not in that dark, huddled room where the disciples gathered that night. And yet... Some of you may internally be feeling like you are. Like you're sitting in the dark and everything is weighing upon you and the door is locked because you're in fear of what to do next. If you are, may you hear Jesus' greeting in the same way the disciples heard it that morning and that evening. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit breathed upon you. Peace be with you. May the Holy Spirit, in all her might, unhinge the doors and illuminate your darkness. Peace be with you. May we hold each other fast, just as the disciples held Thomas in all of his doubts, binding us closer together as a community of faith, and closer to our God. And peace be with you. May we continually and communally be looking for the Holy Spirit moving, that we might come to see and believe. Peace be with you. Peace be with you.